Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for athletes, coaches, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with the platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 40 of the Platform to Perform podcast, I interviewed the PE specialist, Ben Landers. Ben's work was something that I came across during my teacher training year when I was struggling with behavior management and I believe the lessons that can be learned from being able to manage a bunch of 30 uh, kids who are aged four and upwards is something that is incredibly applicable to anyone involved in the coaching profession. In today's podcast, myself and Ben discussed his use of the conflict corner for managing any disagreements within his sessions how he assesses physical literacy using what he calls the locomotor license assessment and how he communicates the importance of aspects such as teamwork, conflict resolution and being able to take responsibility for your own actions with the kids that he works with. I know you're going to take a lot from this uh, podcast today and if you're a strength and conditioning coach I believe that behaviour management and the logistics of session design with children is something that doesn't get covered anywhere near as much as it should do in the world of strength and conditioning. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the other side. How are you doing today, Ben? Doing well, man. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate my, it. My absolute pleasure. I've learned so much from you over the past few months, and we're definitely going to dive into that uh, in a little while. But just to kick things off, uh, why do you do what you do? Oh, man, that's a deep question. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of just fell into teaching phys ed um, and changed my major three times in college. I would have never thought I would be a PE teacher. Um, I always enjoyed sports, but didn't ever see myself in the school system. Um, but once I got into it, uh, I really just fell in love with it. And and since then, I fell into a pretty good situation at two good schools and then got a full-time job at one of those schools and have just had a blast uh, building a program, teaching kids, and um I think when I think about like purpose and why I'm doing what I'm doing, it goes back to trying to do like what I feel like God has gifted me with to the best of my ability and using all my gifts and talents um, in the, in the best way that I can to make a positive impact on the world. And I think PE is a really good way for me to do that. There's probably a few other ways I could have done it, but it's been a really good fit. I find a lot of purpose in helping kids. I enjoy it. It keeps me active and um, I, another big passion of mine is like uh, video and photography. And I've been able to kind of work that into my job um, through creating content for other physical educators, making videos for my students and um, even making videos and like photography and stuff for the school as well, like for the yearbook or like little highlight videos we need for school. Um, and so it's been a really great way for me to um, use my gifts and talents. And then I'm, I have a family now, uh, we've got three kids and also one on the way. And just being a teacher is a great family job for a parent because I'm bringing my daughter to school with me. Eventually I'll be bringing my son with me. You know, we get the same holidays. Uh, and so it just, it works out really well for my lifestyle and, and fits the goals that I have for my life. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's beautiful. And uh, I know speaking about deep conversations, philo- philosophy uh, can be a little bit of a buzzword in these kind of conversations, but uh, if you feel like you have a philosophy when it comes to teaching kids or teaching PE, um, what would you say that is? Uh, my philosophy, what I always go back to is um, what I'm trying to do with my students and what I tell them at the beginning of every year and kind of throughout the year, I remind them about this is I want my kids to 
realized that phys ed is uh, the class that's supposed to prepare them to have the knowledge they need, the skills they need, and the confidence they need to pursue any adventure they want one day. So like I show my kids, um, are you familiar with Joey Fife? He runs a website called the physical educator.com. Uh, uh, do you know what? Yes. Now you've mentioned physicaleducator.com. I'm familiar with that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's a guy out of Canada, but so I kind of stole this, uh, lesson. My, my first beginning of the year, he shows this North face video, like a highlight video with all these different adventure sports. And, um, that really resonates with me because that's the kind of sport that I'm into. Like I'm, I'm like hiking, camping, outdoorsy, kayaking, anything like that is like the things I really enjoy. And so I talked to my kids at the beginning of the year, like, I want you guys to know that all these skills that we're learning can help you have the confidence that you need and have the basic skills like balance and flexibility and strength to pursue any kind of sport, any kind of adventure that you want one day. If you want to go hike the Grand Canyon or you want to go kayaking or you want to go like whitewater rafting, if you can pursue these basic skills, that can give you the confidence you need and the basics to do anything you want. Um, So I just want them to to feel enabled to do like whatever kind of sport or whatever kind of activity they want to. And I kind of frame it around adventure because that is what resonates with me the most. And I like that a lot. Cause uh, even in some of the um, online P stuff that I've been doing this week as part of this sort of feedback form, we've done some movement challenges and uh, just as a bit of fun, we've also asked kids to submit a link to their favorite sporting moment. And uh, one of my year seven kids literally wrote none. I hate sport. And, uh, <laughs> It's so easy as PE teachers to think, oh, what do you mean you don't like sport? But I think using the phrase adventure, like you said, hiking, I mean, yes, it's physical activity, and but it, there's more than just sport. And it's not just, oh, well, I right. don't like sport, so I don't need physical education. So I really like that point there. Yeah, it's. I think another way you could frame it would be just play. Like, I think play is so important and you know, one, one pitfall that I think probably every teacher falls into is just like focusing a little bit, probably too much on fitness and realizing that like, especially like we're mandated to do fitness testing every year at our school. Um, and I try to, to like frame it around goal setting and, and show my kids the value of goal setting, because the reality is most kids probably won't end up pursuing like fitness and going to the gym every day, but hopefully everybody will pursue activity and fun and play, you know, like even as adults, we need play to like keep our mental and social well-being. you know? Um, and so I think framing it around adventure or framing it around play is something that a lot more people can buy into than just fitness or sports. And in terms of just giving the uh, listeners a bit of context as to what uh, PE does look like um, in America, um, could you just run over, for example, what I suppose what a year looks like for you guys? Yeah, sure thing. So it's, I mean, it's different in every state and it's different in a lot of different schools too. But in general, I think the majority of elementary schools are usually doing once a week or maybe twice a week PE. But in our state, it's mostly once a week PE and they get a 50 minute block or a 60 minute block. So elementary kids, for the most part, are getting 60 minutes. There's probably some exceptions. Like we have a couple classes at our school that get double PE or a couple of schools that have uh, more teachers. So they're allowed to like put a little bit more in the schedule. Um, but 60 minutes a week is pretty standard once a week for a public school. Um, and then and when they get to middle school, I'm not 100% sure what the requirements are, but I'm pretty sure they have to do like one semester of PE each year. Um, and I think that would be like uh, six year you know, 90 minute block, depending on how they do the schedules, probably every, every other day. And then high school, I think it's only just one, 
one class uh, in high school, which is pretty sad because it's like you're, you're there for four years. You only have to take PE for one class. Um, but I think that's the requirement. And then, of course, they have electives for kids that want to pursue extra bonus classes and stuff. Yeah, and it's just mental. I mean, an, an analogy I always think of is uh, if you had a dog and uh, you took it out once a week, they'd probably be like the RSPCA being like, no, this is this is wrong. Um, yeah. Before we dive down that rabbit hole, what I am keen to explore is with such little time, what are some of your big rocks, if you will, for maximizing the amount of time? Because I know you work with um, kindergarten, which I believe is five and six years old. Is that is that the age range? Yeah, we actually have a 4K class as well. So we have a preschool class. Um, we used to have two, but the enrollment's down this year because of uh, coronavirus. But we uh, we have usually one or two 4K classes, and then we'll have kindergarten through fifth grade. So what, what age range is you primarily working with then? Four years old to fifth grade, I think is like 10 and 11 usually. Cool. So what are your, I suppose, your big rocks when it comes to um, avoiding time being misspent, whether it's through loss, through behavior, whether it's through um, kids not understanding instructions. What are some of your key principles for that? Yeah, we definitely won't. Uh, kids know that I hate to waste time. Like that's like one, they're like, God, stop talking to our wasting time. We're not gonna have time to do PE. Um, one thing I say a lot is the more you say, the less you play to try to help kids realize that, look, I'm here for you. I'm trying to help you out, but I can give you the keys to success, but you got to open that door yourself. I talk to them about that stuff all the time. Um, trying to get kids to take responsibility and I try to build systems into my program to help with that. Like we have a pretty good warm up routine. We have a good, uh, attendance system. Um, we were talking before we started recording about the conflict corner, which is my, uh, conflict system where if kids have an issue, I teach them how to resolve it on their own. And then if they can't resolve it on their own, they come and tell me about it, but for 90% of the problems, it's like something so simple that if kids just talked about it with each other, they can easily resolve it on their own. Um, we do a self-assessment every day at the end of class. So just trying to build systems into my program that can kind of help kids uh, take more responsibility. And um, one thing recently that I, I put out a video about uh, being the guide on the side instead of the sage on the stage. So like, hopefully as a teacher, like my goal is to get kids to be able to play a game of three on three basketball all by themselves without anybody refereeing and just be able to call all the shots themselves. And so if they can do that, they can go out to recess, they can play in their neighborhood. Um, so my goal is not to be the referee in every PE class, even though sometimes that's, you know, what you're going to be doing depending on what game you're playing. Um, but our ultimate goal, I think is, you know, hopefully helping kids learn to take responsibility for those and give them the skills that they need to, become independent now with kindergarten that's a you know they're in the exploratory stage some kids have never even thrown a ball before so they're coming in you're just trying to get them a lot of practice time so you know my kindergarten first and second grade classes we do a lot of station work um, we do a lot of repetition exploring new skills together and then my third through fifth grades we start to get into more modified gameplay we talk about more strategies we're putting those skills into place playing a lot of different modified games so that's kind of a general overview of what it looks like and that leads nicely and i think you've kind of already covered it really but that leads nicely into uh one of our listeners questions I'm pr i hope i don't butcher the pronunciation of the name uh but this comes from isa and uh he asked about um when you use gamification or modified games uh versus when you use deliberate practice uh so if you could i suppose just 
elaborate on when you might use either and whether there's a certain approach with certain year groups? So deliberate practice, just to make sure I understand, that would just be like, hey, practice throwing a ball on a wall? Uh, yes. So my understanding of the okay. question was uh, deliberate practice. So probably more like the stations you've described mm-hmm. where, for example, you're going to do exactly this, whereas gamification or gamified learning, right? Here's the rules for anything that happens within those parameters is perfectly cool. Yeah. 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 With the older kids, I'm trying to gamify everything like third through fifth grade. We're doing every, almost every game. Uh, I'm like, all right, this is level one. If we can do level one, then we're doing level two and I'll just add little modifications to make it more interesting and uh, to start to get the kids thinking strategically. Um, One thing I ask my third through fifth graders almost every time in between levels, like when we play around, we'll stop and they'll say, all right, before I do level two, somebody raise their hand and tell me what's something that you can do to help your team be successful. Cause that's really what a strategy is. That's kind of like my way to put it into terms that they can understand. And so my kids are real used to, trying to think about what, what the things they can do to help their team be successful are. And we talk about it a lot. Um, yesterday I had a, a class that was a fifth grade class and the team that had won had kids that were raising their hand to try to share some of the strategies and everybody on their team was like, Shh, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody our strategies. And I was like, guys, that's not the culture we're trying to create. We're, we're in PE class. Like we want to try to help each other and nobody in here is getting paid. You know, like if we were playing professional sports, that's a different story. Then you want to you want to do everything you can to win, but like, we're just here trying to learn. We're playing together. We're all friends. Let's share some of the things that we're learning about the game. So that's the kind of culture I'm trying to create with those older kids. Um, with the younger ones, like you said, like the more deliberate practice uh, with like kindergarten, you're not going to be able to gamify everything because they're just learning how to throw and catch. Like they're learning the bare minimum. Um, but I've like, one example would be like a way to gamify stations once I do a lesson of the basics, like maybe we're learning how to throw a Frisbee and my kids have gone over the cues and maybe we've done two lessons of different stations where we're like throwing at a pin, throwing in a bucket, throwing to a partner. Um, you can then gamify it a little bit by just having those exact same stations. So instead of just throwing at a pin, I can say, all right, this is the pin station and this is the easy level. This is the medium level. This is the hard level. And then I put the pins a little bit farther back. And so then the kids will start at easy and then they, when they get easy, they go to medium. And then when they get medium, they go to hard. And I always tell them um, when we're doing that kind of thing that if they can knock the hard challenge down, then they get to become a coach and they get to help the other people that are still on easy, give them advice, give them tips. And um, that's a way to kind of gamify it a little bit for your younger kids. And also to get some of those skilled uh, students when they're, when they might get bored, you know, if you don't do something like that. And instead they're helping the kids that really need help that don't have as much skills. So as a teacher, you're kind of recruiting those more skilled players to help you um, give feedback to kids. So. Yeah. I like that. And something I learned in my first year of teacher training the hard way is uh, you forget the simple things that if you've grown up with a lifetime of sport, if you get chucked into a sport you've never heard before, you're like, right, well, I know there's going to be places I can go, places I can't. I know there's going to be inbounds and outbounds. I know there's going to be some method of restarting play. And yep. it, it's not even that you assume the kids can do these things. You just forget that that is actually integral to pretty much every single sport. And that, like you said, if kids have barely been walking for a couple of years, they're certainly not going to understand how to do all of those things. So gamification. Got to break it down to the bare basics. Yeah. Yeah. Make it even more simpler than you think you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that you can do, uh, which has been pretty cool for like kindergarten, especially, um, cause they're just figuring out even out how to like follow the directions. 
like even how to rotate from one station to another can be a struggle. Um, is like giving, like if I have four stations, like we were just doing a throwing and catching unit. And so for my kindergartens, the first, very first lesson we did, I gave them four different sets of equipment. So we had like a big ball, small ball, a bouncy ball, and like a balloon, or you can use whatever you want. Um, but the directions were the exact same. So like I, I would say, all right, what I want the challenge at every single station is you're going to get the ball out of the bucket. You're going to throw it to yourself five times. You're going to throw it to the wall five times. And if you have time, you can try to throw it to a partner five times. And so then they're at every station. They don't have to remember four different sets of directions. They can just remember the exact same thing, but they get a different piece of equipment. So it adds like a variation and a challenge. And then when you come back in with your class, you can talk about like, Hey, let's talk about what ball was the easiest one to catch. And why is that? Or which one was the hardest one? Why is that? And so it just brings in a lot of good conversations you can have with your kids, but it makes it very simple for them to understand. Yeah, and like you said, if you can, I suppose, automate the instructions that you're giving, it's going to be so much easier than, like you said, like you've got four different balls. Oh, but each ball has a different rule. And <laughs> right. Before you know it, it just gets out of control. Yeah. And in terms of one of the things, uh, one of the things I came across your work uh, the other day that I really liked, um, and specifically listening to your podcast, was uh, your locomotor license assessment. Because I always think that the logistics of assessing kids. And when I've spoken to strength conditioning coaches, they've almost given a very, dare I say, a dry approach that probably would end up boring kids. Um, whereas your locomotor license assessment, I'm like, I can see why kids would enjoy this. I can see why it would motivate them. Do you want to walk the listeners through how that works and what that involves? Yeah, sure. And there's, uh, if you want to, if you're RPE teacher teaching small kids, I have a, there's a free download that kind of explains the whole thing and you can download the printables and everything on the site. If you just Google local motor license, you'll be able to find it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, one of our first grade standards is to, um, get kids skipping, sliding, galloping, jumping, hopping, um, in open space without crashing into each other. <laughs> so one of the ways that we do at the end of every first grade year is we do this thing called the locomotor license test. And I'm kind of like building up to this throughout the entire year in first grade. Like when my kids come in at the beginning of the year, I'm like, dude, this is the year guys. We're going to have our locomotor license test at the very end of the year. We're going to work on skipping all year long. We're going to learn how to do it. Um, and so we just do a lot of practice throughout. Like even when we're doing throwing and catching, I'll say, all right, I want you to show me how to skip to your next station. And I want you to show me how to gallop. And I'm just working it in really small little bits throughout the whole year. Um, so then the way we do the assessment is um, the kids all pretend to get in their car. And then they, I have like a little script that I'll read to them. It's like, all right, the next road is really bumpy. So now we're going to be jumping. And then I'm just scanning the room, making sure everybody knows how to jump. Um, and then uh, if kids don't know how to do something, um, they don't get their license. And then I, I tell them we're going to have another chance next week. And eventually everybody gets their license. Um, but I just make notes of kids that need extra help. And I've been doing that as well throughout the year. So any kids that like don't know how to skip, I've had conversations with them before, like, Hey, we need to work on this, man. Our local motor license test is coming up. Um, and then they just get a little print out with their name on it and they love it. And they're super proud when they walk out. Um, but it's just an easy way to, to reward kids for doing the right thing. And also to do what we're required to do, which is assess the students on their locomotor skills. And, uh, one thing I liked when I watched your video is, uh, particularly how you frame it. Cause, uh, 
as I can all I can definitely imagine for a kid not to get their license yeah, can probably cause mass hysteria. How do you deal yeah. with that situation and frame it for them? Yeah, there's definitely a few tears usually with if we don't get our license. Um, I tell my kids, and this is a true story. Like when I took my first driver's license test, um, I failed the first one. I didn't get my, I didn't get my driver's license because I didn't know how to parallel park. Um, and so I, I tell them, look, guys, like failure is a part of life. We we do our best, just like Coach Landers didn't get his license the first time. But then you know what I did when I went home. You're like, you practice. I'm like, yeah, man, I set cones up in my driveway and I had to parallel park my car over and over and over again. And then when I went back to get my license the second time, do you know what happened? They're like, you got it. I'm like, yes, I got it. Um, and so I also tell them like that first week, I'm like, hey, look around at the people that have their license. If you need help, those people can help you at recess. And so, I, you know, we'll, a couple of kids will be like, yeah, I asked uh, Johnny to help me learn how to skip. And we skipped around at recess. And then that's how I learned how this week. So that's another cool way to kind of pull in those kids that are more skilled that can help their friends. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I frame it, but yeah, it is, you know, some people probably wouldn't recommend doing that, but to me, it's like, if you're going to give everybody a license and it doesn't really mean anything, if you're giving it to kids that actually don't deserve it. Um, but I have actually had a f- quite a few classes where everybody actually did know how to do all the things and they all got their license. It just depends, you know? And what I like, what I like that you mentioned there, because this is something I struggled with massively in my uh, training year, was how you assess them in the sense of you will only mark down who can't do it, which by, well, by nature it means that everyone else can do it. Because I remember thinking when I was doing my PGC, I thought, how am I expected to assess 30 kids in the space right. of a 30 minute lesson or whatever it is? Um, but you also use clipboards um, quite extensively. Um, would you mind talking about how you use that for your, as part of your assessment as well? Yeah. You mean like each day of the week has a different clipboard? Yeah. yeah with your little abbreviations and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So that's something I've been doing. Um, I just, one of the teachers I was working with, um, she did that. And the way our schedule works out, we have a different set of kids every day since everybody has once a week PE. Uh, so I just have a different clipboard for each day on the back of the clipboard is my weekly schedule. And then it has like the class list. And then at the bottom, it's got little behavior codes. And also, um, do you guys have IEPs, like the individualized uh, yes. like special education yes, plan? Yes, yes, All right. So basically anybody that has like a specialized plan for a disability or an issue or like any kind of extra help that they have, um, I have those at the very bottom, just summarize. Cause usually they're like five pages, but it's yeah, like what it means yeah, to me. So like this kid needs extra time on a quiz or sitting close to instruction, or they're allowed to go to the bathroom anytime they need to, you know, like specialized things like that at the bottom. Um, and then behavior codes. So just little, uh, abbreviations for things that happen all the time. Like if a student is not following directions, I just write NFD or if they are talking without permission, I write TWP, so then it just helps me when I'm doing grades at the end of the nine weeks to be able to look back at that one page and see what happened every single week, kind of an overview, especially providing feedback to parents. Like if a parent had a question about a grade, I'd be like, I can easily look at that one page and say, Hey, you know, I love your child, first of all, <laughs> but they, they really struggle to follow directions like six classes out of our eight classes that we had. So that's why they didn't get the full credit for the, that nine weeks. Um, so just being able to, uh, back your grades up and back your assessments and your, your comments that you make on report cards up is pretty important. Just tracking as much data as I can, but also trying to keep it simple. Cause like you said, 
you got 30 minutes, you got, you know, 24 year olds and you want to have a fun class. You don't want to be so focused on writing notes and taking data that you can't actually teach your students. Um, so just try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah. And that's why I found, uh, that video that you did on that just so refreshing because uh, I'm very much a pen and paper guy. Uh, technology for some reason just doesn't sit well with me. Like the iPad will die or the music yeah. won't work. And you think, Oh, there must be an easier way. So when I found that video, I was like, thankfully someone's speaking sense. Nice. Yeah. I'm a, I mean, dude, I love technology, but when I'm in the gym teaching, I'm like 100% go mode. And like you said, like if it, if the iPad takes five seconds to load something, I'm like, no, nope, can't use it. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely pen and paper for taking notes and things like that too, when I'm teaching. And in terms of your, uh, in terms of your behavior management, um, something that I've read, uh, from another coach I've interviewed on this podcast and his quote was, if it's important, do it every day. Um, are there any routines that you go with, with your kids, um, just to really drill in your expectations? Yeah. So every day I, I really, hundred percent do this with K second. And sometimes even with, if I have like a third, fifth class that struggles with management, I'll do it with them too. But we start by reviewing our three big, uh, expectations, which is I say to the kids, um, Hey, when the teacher's talking, what are you doing? And they're all like listening. And like, uh, if you have something to say, what should you do? They're like, raise your hand. And then hands a few to yourself. Um, so those are the three main things. Like, honestly, if, if kids could just listen when you're talking, then dude, everything's going to go great. Like that's the, <laughs> if, if you can get kids to listen to you when you're talking, then your, your lesson is going to be great. Um, so I remind kids about that on the front end. Cause I think just norming, norming them out like that and reminding them, those are the important things they need to do. Um, and then also uh, being consistent. Like if kids, if a kid is not following those expectations, you have to follow through on whatever consequences you have set for your classroom. Um, for me, we have a three strike rule. So I'll say, Hey, strike one, please don't talk while I'm talking. Um, and then two times it's a refocus. So they go to the side and then we go and have a conversation. Um, and one thing I try to do is when I'm, when I'm handing out consequences to kids, I frame it in a way that is more of a disappointment than like a frustration or anger. So I always think of it as, um, an, Oh no, so like, I'm like, oh man, I wish you weren't talking while I'm talking. You got to go have a seat. That's strike two. I'll come talk to you in a minute. And it's like, ah, I'm on your team, man, but you're, you got to help me out. And then that kind of sets you up for the conversation later. Whereas if you said it in a different tone of voice in a different way, you're like, dude, stop talking while I'm talking, please go sit down on the bench. Then that kind of makes it seem to that student, like you're not on their team. And so then when you try to go talk to them later, they're not going to be willing to talk to you. It breaks that relationship down. Um, so, you know, I'm doing everything I can to remind students that I love them, that I care about them, that I'm on their team and I'm here for them. But at the same time, I'm not just going to let them ruin the class for everybody else that's doing the right thing. Um, it's definitely a fine line to, to learn how to walk. It's an art, you know, teaching is such an art. And I think, every educator is trying to figure out how to get a little bit better every day. So that's one of the things I like about it is that challenge. Yeah. I like that. And it also um, reminds me of a quote that I read from a behavior management book when I was transitioning into teaching and it, it stressed the importance of making sure that students are aware that it's their behavior that you don't like, not them. Whereas if in your example, you just gave away like, stop talking when I'm talking, it yeah. kind of feels a bit more personal than like you said, Oh, such a shame you've done that. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it relates to parenting so much. Like I'm a a pretty young parent now. Like I have a six-year-old as my oldest, but we have three kids and um, I've used a lot of the things I've learned through parenting and my teaching. Like I had a kid recently that I was like, Hey, why did you do that? And he was like, cause I'm a bad boy. And I was like, dude, don't ever say that again. Like you are not a bad boy. You're an awesome student. Like I am so proud of you and your progress, but you made a bad decision. It's, it's stuff that happens. I make bad decisions all the time, but like you learn those, uh, those things that kids start to tell themselves, it becomes an identity, you know, like I'm a bad boy. Like you can obviously tell somebody's told them that before. Um, and so like trying to find, especially your, your kids that are problem kids are probably the ones that are going to have, they're going to struggle with those identities because they've had people tell them that before. Um, and so I'm trying to like, keep an eye out for that kind of stuff too. And, and speak out against that as much as I can, like you're saying, um, so yeah, it's a really important thing to watch out for. Yeah. And it's also interesting with similar kids like that, where and it was certainly something that I'd not come across until I've got into teaching properly, where some kids seem almost praise averse or like, you'll, I don't know, you'll pick them out and you'll be like, Johnny, that was fantastic. What you've just done there. And they're almost shy away from it. Or like, you know, they don't quite respond the way that you want them to. And think, Oh, that's, that's weird. That's a bit unusual. That's definitely come from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, man, every kid is so different. It's just, uh, you you really have to start to get to know your kids and like figure out what makes them tick to be able to manage the class. Um, cause it's just depends on where they're at, what's going on at home, you know, their siblings, like there's so many different variables. Yeah. And that's why something that I've enjoyed doing whilst, I mean, currently in the UK, we've been in lockdown for quite a while now. So as well as getting kids to send feedback on some, um, practical lessons I've been doing I've also said for example give me one skill you want to work on it doesn't have to be related to physical um, education at all and the, the answers that have come back have been fascinating but it just helps build that relationship and then you can describe things in ways that are contextually meaningful rather than if we go back to the start that kid there's no point in me saying oh this is going to help you be better at sport because the year seven kid that I mentioned at the start hates sports so right. what a pointless uh, analogy yeah. that is yeah and in terms of, uh, so we've we we spoken a little bit about assessment uh, for PE. Uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into physical literacy. So we spoke off air and I said how the physical literacy has kind of become an umbrella term in the sense of means different things to different people. Uh, so how do you define uh, physical literacy and what does it mean to you? Um, man, I used to know the really good definition for it, but it's slipping <laughs> my mind right now. Um, but, you know, I think it it kind of, closely aligns with what I said earlier about my PE philosophy. It's like this, the uh, skills you need, the knowledge you need and the confidence you need to be able to move in whatever way you want. Um, So when I think of physical literacy, I think of just like people need to learn the basics to learn how to read a book. We need to teach people the basics of uh, physical skills and also physical knowledge so they can keep their bodies healthy for the rest of their life, depending, you know, whatever they want to choose to do. They need to know the importance of activity and they need to know how to pursue health through activity. Um, not necessarily through sport or through like fitness and working out, but just through staying active and being a mover and finding something they enjoy doing and they're passionate about and keeping their body healthy. And there's, I think another thing that we sometimes uh, forget about is the, um, the social aspect of activity. Like, 
it's such a great way to make friends and to build relationships and to like improve your emotional and your social well-being as well. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, in the feedback stuff that I've had my pupils um, write for me, I've said like, what's one thing that you miss about PE and the majority of them, it's interacting with friends, being part of a team, um, which is quite heartbreaking really, but there's only so much you can do uh, behind a screen. Yeah, virtual is so hard, man. I, I'm so glad that we're back face to face. I'm like dreading these two virtual classes I have to teach later today. <laughs> it's just uh, such a different, such a different thing, especially when you don't have the cameras, like you were saying. I mean, you're just teaching to a blank screen. It's so hard to build that relationship and to connect. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I did have uh, put down, but again, you're welcome to swerve it, and I'll change the topic if you want. Um, but it's just the logistics of. Uh, how you guys have been setting up when you have had to teach virtually? Yeah. So my uh, virtual setup is I have the wireless headphones, like the ones I'm wearing now. And so I can kind of move around, do exercises and stuff and still be able to hear the kids. And then I have a iPad set up just next to the computer with a little sound effects app. And I'll kind of just make funny sound effects throughout the, uh, throughout the lesson, just doing basically anything I can to try to, help make it fun and engaging and get some laughs from kids. Um, you know, we're doing Google meet. So we have like a little chat box. So I'll put in a question of the day, just try to get some feedback. Like, uh, how are you feeling today? What are you doing this weekend? What's one thing that was cool that happened to you this week? Just different stuff like that. Um, and then we kind of do usually do a warm up, like follow the leader type style warm up. Um, when I was doing virtual, I was focusing on juggling for my third through fifth graders. And then with the uh, younger kids, we did just tossing and catching activities uh, with either a sock ball or plastic bag or paper ball, things like that. Uh, in, and in terms of in terms of just, a, I suppose, a, let- a, a lesson on uh, physical literacy. So a lot of um, so, for example, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches I've spoken to have said about the sports-based curriculum being somewhat outdated and they love the idea of physical literacy but then if you said okay what are we doing in this lesson then and they'll reel off almost what I would say is a very dry it's not like a lesson it's more like here is a session that I would deliver to an athlete and it's like this many sets of this many reps and I think if you deliver that to a bunch of young kids in particular you'd lose their attention span straight away so uh could you walk the listeners through, I suppose, um, what one of your lessons might be or maybe one of your lessons this week has looked like in person? For my in-person lessons? Uh, yeah, can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're doing uh, so this week we're doing uh, throwing and catching. This is like kind of towards the end of our throwing and catching unit. Um, and I'm having to modify a lot of stuff this year just to – uh, we have to, you know, sanitize everything in between every class. So normally I would, every single kid would have a ball. They would be doing a lot of individual stuff. And this year I'm having to figure out ways to use less equipment. So we're doing a lot less of that, which is kind of a bummer, but uh, we're making it work. It's definitely, I would say much more preferable than virtual. (laughs) Um, but so we started off this week with fire and ice and that's a tag game with some throwing and catching. Um, so basically the kids come in, we do our general warm up, uh, and you can check that out. If you want to just go to my site, there's like a whole blog post with my whole daily warm up routine, but, um, they go to like their home base spots, which is kind of our spread out spots where we can be socially distanced. We do our warm up, we get a quick jog or exercise in, and then I explain the game to the kids. Um, it's a tag game where you, 
get, if you get frozen, you do a dance and I put up some, uh, dancing gifts on the TV that we have in the gym. So they're all the kids love that. It's a bunch of different Fortnite dances. Um, and so they're, when they get frozen, they'll start dancing and then somebody will throw them a fireball. And then, um, like we were talking about gamification, there's different levels. So I'll start them out at level one, then we'll move to level two, then level three. Um, and then with the younger kids, we just do the very, very basics of tagging and freezing and dancing. And then I might add the fireball in for them. Um, if they get the very basics down without like running into each other and learning how to stay in the boundary lines and things like that. Um, this is the first time I've done tag with my kindergarten kids this year. So we've been doing a lot of moving in open space and things like that, but this is the intro for them into tag games. Um, and then we're playing a game that I call come on over. You probably have, it's a very basic concept. Um, I've seen it called mat ball before. Um, but basically you have two mats on each side of the gym or you can just use like a, you know, general coned off area and there's two teams and you start off with like one person on each side. So then the goal of the game is to throw a ball over to somebody on the mat. And if they can catch it, then they say, come on over. And you try to get your whole team over to the other side. Um, so, and then that's pretty much our whole lesson. Uh, coming a question I should have asked earlier. Um, so you mentioned about the routines that you have with your kids in terms of the um, three key rules is do you ever have to do anything to stop certain consistent routines becoming boring or is it just so embedded and they know why they're doing what they're doing that that isn't really an issue? Um, I mean, we mix up the instant activities for the older kids a good bit um, with the younger kids. It's just, it's hard enough to just keep that same basic routine, but like even something real simple, like, we do jogging lines and walking lines, but then I'll switch it up. And I'm like, all right, today we're doing skipping lines and sliding lines. They're like, what? Skipping? You know, so just little things like that. Um, you can do uh, hurdles. Like sometimes I'll put out hurdles. They can jump over the hurdles on the jogging line. Or we'll do like some cones and they do like a little cone weave challenge. Um, and then with the older kids, uh, depending on the class, again, you know, some classes they need that structure so bad that I'll just keep it sync the same. Um, but if I have a really good class, it's like responsible, I'll just do something super simple. Like, uh, if we're doing throwing and catching, grab a ball, throw with a partner. Once you get five throws, you're going to jog a lap together and then go back and try again. So those like as many rounds as possible in three minutes type warmups. And you can do that with any skill. So if we're doing basketball, I say, take three dribbles, do a bounce pass, go back and forth, jog a lap after three times, you know, um, or jog while you're dribbling a ball, same thing with soccer. Um, so just trying to, with my older kids, especially since we're getting into more modified games, I give them a chance to warm up with the skill that we're going to be using. Um, usually if I, uh, if we have time and depending on the setup of the gym and stuff like that. Um, so that's what normally what I try to do with third to fifth with the younger kids. We keep it pretty simple, but we do mix it up. We'll do like, you know, a different locomotor or put out a jogging hurdle or something like that. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I mean, even listening to you earlier and listening to you, uh, in previous podcasts you've done and just saying like rather than walking to the next station we're going to skip like just yeah. stuff like that where you're just like right i've only got this much time so i really need to make the use most of it there's no point having you walk if you're cognitively able to do something like a skip yeah yeah and then one thing you can do too like for my first graders and my kindergartners when we're doing that is I'll just be observing and in a quick like 30 seconds you can see the three kids in the class that don't know how to you know, so when you're, when you're asking your kids to do that, you can make a note. And then when you do have your locomotor license test, you know, those three kids that you're kind of making sure they got it 
or not. And then throughout the year, you can help them, give them a little extra help, uh, trying to give them some more feedback, some more advice throughout the year so they can learn how to do it. So it's another good time to just do some real informal assessments so you can kind of better serve your kids. And yeah, that was a question I was going to ask in terms of how you manage something like that. Because I imagine, um, I mean, it's true of older kids, uh, but I imagine for younger kids, if, you know, let's say you pull those three kids out and like, right now we're going to teach these three how to skip, like that would be crushing for these kids. So that was going to be my next question, whether it's, that's just a, you know, you made a note of it and then you see them at recess or something like that, um, or whether you have a regression in place for those kids. Yeah, just I make a note and then when we're doing station work, I'll just go over and take like maybe 60 seconds. But yeah, let's let's go over your skip real quick. I noticed you were kind of struggling with it earlier today. And then we'll just work together for maybe a quick minute. And I'll be like, I want you to practice that at recess. Okay. And they're like, okay. So it's just real simple. Um, I'm not like pulling them out of class or anything like that. And I'm not pulling them out in front of other kids. Um, it's just more like knowing the kids that need extra help. Like right now we're doing our throwing unit. I've got some kids where I have a little minus on their that day because they need help on their throwing skills like they're not stepping with their opposite foot or they don't know how to do their twist when they throw um and so when we're playing a game i can remember which kids i need to look out for real quick and just during the game like when everybody else is playing they're oblivious to what's going on i'll just walk up but hey don't forget you need to step with the opposite foot remember we talked about it last week just little quick little uh bits of feedback like that i think go a long way yeah and do you ever find just like even dealing with the kids in year seven teaching opposite foot stepping forward i found you'll you'll remind them and they'll say oh yeah yeah i need to step forward my opposite foot and then like 20 seconds later they're lost in the uh the <laughs> exhilaration of the game and you're like right. right they can tell me what they've done wrong uh but i'm not seeing it in the game um do you have any um like how do you tend to deal with that is it just the sense of just keep repeating it and eventually they'll learn or is there any other ways you go about that yeah i mean dude especially depending on how much time you see kids like i've given up on like i'm gonna do the best i can but like you said like you got kids in year seven that still don't know how to throw a ball I mean, that's just because they only throw four times a year. Like my four throwing lessons are the only time they ever practice throwing, you know? Um, But the fact that they can repeat it back to you is pretty cool. So they have the knowledge they need. They just have to put in the practice. Um, But the reality is like most kids, they might not put in the practice, but as long as they, you're, you're giving them the opportunity. Right. So like I, I tell my kids during every lesson, like, Hey, this is how you play soccer. Now you've played soccer for, a few weeks. So if you want to pursue this, if this is something you're passionate about, you can go do it at recess or you can, you know, try to join a league or something. Um, but I don't have the, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get anybody to proficiency in three lessons. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's about exposing them, doing the best you can with the time you have. And then also over the course of six years, hopefully you're getting them towards proficiency, but yeah, I, I still have kids that can't throw the ball correctly. Um, but in my mind, it's like you could you could either focus super hard on that and then they probably won't have as much fun playing the game. And then you kind of take that like positive experience with physical activity away from them because they're just focused on not doing the thing the right way. Um, whereas a few quick reminders and then they just have a blast playing the game. And then the more they practice, the better they're going to get. And they have a positive experience. Um, I, I prefer the positive experience over the skill. Um because I think that's what's really going to cause kids to want to be active later, which I think is our ultimate goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, realistically, there's 
if you say to kids when they then become adults, oh, you know, what do you remember from PE? They're probably not going to say, oh, I remember when I learned to throw a ball or catch. They're probably going to be, oh, we did this lesson. It was amazing. We had so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. One of the questions I haven't got written down, but it's something that I've always thought of as a PE teacher is the same way. And you may have, I'm sure you have it at your school as well. If a kid, for example, if their reading age is really low or lower than it should be, if their maths age is too low, then the school will put on, for example, extracurricular homework style clubs. Um, How do you go about communicating to, or do you go about communicating to a parent if, for example, a kid's motor skills are compromised to the level where you're thinking, right, this is, even if they don't want to play sport, this is actually a major issue for them years down the line. How do you go about initiating that conversation? Um, Usually the only way that I like give that kind of feedback through is through uh, the fitness reports that we do for fifth grade. So like we send home fitness reports. So if you can only do one push up, then your parents are going to find out whenever they get that report. Um, and then for our younger kids, we have standards based report cards. So with kindergarten through second, they actually have, like we were talking about the locomotor license on the report card. It says student can walk, jump, hop, skip, gallop with control in open space. Um, and so if they can't do that, like if I have a kid that cannot get their locomotor license, then I'll put a progressing instead of a meets expectations on that. And I'll put a note on their report card. It's like, Hey, they're still working on their skip. Just keep practicing at home. I'm sure they're going to get it. They know all the right things to do. They just need more practice. Um, or we have a throwing, we have a throwing assessment standard on our second grade report cards. So the kids have to be able to throw a ball, from a 30 foot line and hit a wall and it's like pretty black and white like you can either throw it and hit the wall or you can't you know um and so i if they can't do it i just they get a progressing instead of a meets expectations and i say hey they're doing a great job just keep working on that overhand throw um and the kids know like i tell the kids very you know at the very beginning like hey this is on our report card this is one of our things we're trying to do in second grade if you can't do it no big deal. That's why we're here. We're going to keep working on it. Do your best and forget the rest. Um, but I think the main way is through those standards-based report cards. Um, and I, I really like that because it is just very clear, like to the parents, just a clear communication of, hey, this is what your kid can and can't do. It's something you might want to think about. Um, I don't know. I think, I think most PE programs uh, should probably try to implement some kind of standard based report card. Cause I think it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether you guys have a, a similar issue to um, what we have over here in the UK, or at least with, for example, primary schools and that transition between primary and secondary. What normally happens is kids go to have all the years of primary school or uh, kindergartens would be for you get to secondary school. And then the secondary school teachers have no information at all on physical education. They just have maths and English and you're like, right, would it really have been that logistically impossible for you to say, for example, uh, this kid can skip, hop, jump, throw, walk. Um, this kid can't. Rather than doing what we do over here, which is normally, right, we'll have a look at you in some different sports, which you've probably never played before. You may or may not have the physical skills. You may have the sporting skills, but have none of the physical fundamentals. And you just basically end up repeating what they've done the previous year. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a pretty similar uh, issue we have over here. I think also one of the struggles over here is that there's a pretty big coaching like culture in uh, secondary. So, 
you know, what you described is like probably a best case scenario for me in my mind, because you got a teacher that's really like looking at the skills, cares about it and is trying, even though they don't have the information, they're trying to provide like some value. But I think what happens a lot of times is people get hired, not for their teaching ability, but for their coaching ability. And so that's kind of what they spend their time on. Um, at least in my experience, when I was student teaching in the high school, like there was a lot of people that were coaching. And then when it was time to teach, they were just like letting their kids have free play, you know? Um, and I know there's a lot of awesome secondary teachers out there. So I'm not trying to like dog on any secondary teachers that are super passionate about education because that's what we really need to be able to, um, you know, beat the stereotype of the teacher that's playing dodgeball every day. But I think it's tough because I mean, principals are going to be hiring mostly for the coaching because that's what makes them look good. Um, and I don't really know what the answer is, but I, it seems like a pretty, pretty tough uh, problem that we're dealing with, at least in the States. Yeah. And I mean, I always try and use the argument that say, look, here's your talent pool at the moment, because only very few kids have been lucky enough to have parents to expose them to certain sports. Whereas if we develop this massive toolbox of physical literacy or fundamental movement skills, call it what you will, then we'll be able to develop these kids if we really want to and if that's appropriate into team players or sports athletes whatever um yeah. but if we don't develop that fundamental toolbox then it's going to be very slim pickings and you could have the best coach in the world but if he's got three kids who can throw skip jump and catch then you can't feel the starting 11 in soccer if uh, you've only got three kids <laughs> yep and uh, just close it. Just in uh, closing up, if you had one key take home for the listeners of the podcast, whether it's teachers, parents, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, what would you like that take home to be? Uh, our tagline for our website is "Have fun and teach on." And uh, the reason that I kind of chose that was because um, I think one of the most important things you can do is give kids a, a positive experience, and whatever it is that you're doing, parenting teaching coaching um because if your goal is to get them active for life or if, even if well, like it goes across the curriculum right like if you want them to learn how to read you need to find a book that they're into that's funny that they enjoy you know um you need to find a way to present what you're doing in a fun way and i think phys ed is a no-brainer it's too easy to make it fun you know like if, if you're presenting things in a way where as a if you were a student in that class you would find it boring then you just didn't take enough time to think about the activity to be creative and to do some more research and find a way that's more fun to present that content. Um, uh, explaining the why is another big one that I think is really, really helpful in motivating students. And as a, as a student, when I was in high school, I had one teacher that I specifically remember having every standard that we were going to learn. And she had why we needed to know that and how it was going to help us in the future. And so I always tried to do that with my kids. Like, you were saying the one student you have doesn't like sports. If you find out what he's into, like, I'm so good at selling kids. I, like, if you tell me one thing you're into, I can find a way to make what we're doing today apply to that. Like, just give me five minutes and I'm going to find a way to connect it, you know? Um, because like with phys ed, we're, we're making our brain smarter. Like we're learning how to interact with people. We're learning how to work together with others. Like that's a huge life skill. Like it doesn't matter what you end up doing. If you don't know how to work together with others, like, probably not going to be very successful. Um, so finding ways to explain to kids why what you're learning is important, I think is so valuable in motivating them and um, trying to make it fun as well. Give them that positive experience. 
Absolutely. And uh, if you could observe uh, one other individual working with, it could be their kids, their athletes, whatever context you want, who would you like to observe and spend time with and why? Um, like another teacher? It could be another teacher or it could be a complete, it could be someone from a completely different field. Cool. Um, I would probably like to observe, are you familiar with uh, Andy Vasily? No. He's a, so he's a physical education, like a director or advisor for a school, I think is in Saudi Arabia. Um, but he's kind of been all over the place. He's, he's been an international teacher, um, but he's like so reflective and thoughtful. I would love to be able to um, be able to watch him teach. Um, Joey Fites is another one. I would love to be able to watch teach um, just because he's got like so many things going on. He's so intentional with his instructions and his outcomes and things like that. And uh, last question, how can people uh, reach out to you and uh, engage with some of the content that you've been putting out there? Um, you guys can hit me up on the website, thepspecialist.com, and all my social medias is um, at thepspecialist too if you're interested in checking us out on any of those channels. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you giving up your lunch break to chat with Ben. That's uh, I'm massively grateful. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Sure thing, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Take it easy. All right, brother. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to episode number 40 of the Platform to Perform podcast with myself, as always, Todd Davidson, and today's guest, Ben Landers. If you've enjoyed the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave me a review via your preferred podcast platform. If you're in a position to go one better than that and you want access to the exclusive strength conditioning resources that I've been releasing, then you can check out my Patreon by heading to www.patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2P coaching. In exchange for supporting the podcast, you'll receive exclusive access to the 30 Calisthenics Kids lessons that I've produced, which aim to improve strength, confidence and movement skill in children. You'll also receive access to every uh, program that I've ever created, including an extensive video library and several educational strength conditioning topics I've released as part of my Wisdom Wednesday series. Thank you very much for tuning in and I'll catch you again in the next episode.